Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Student Pilot Cast, Episode 2, Where to Spend Your Kid's College Fund, or How to Decide on a Flight School and CFI. Today we'll be talking about how I chose my flight school and what criteria I used and thought was important. Canada Ground Cherokee 4121 Tango, Chandler Service Taxi for South Departure Okay, I guess today I want to start off by explaining why it, why there's been a slight delay since my last episode. I got delayed in, in actually starting my lessons, and I'll explain why here. It uh, dovetails nicely into the topic today, which is choosing your flight school. So like I said before, I have chosen to use Chandler Air Service for my flight school. Um, it's also an FBO located at Chandler Municipal Airport in Chandler, Arizona, and I chose them based on various criteria, which I'm going to talk about today. But as a result of that, it turns out that they're, they've been extremely busy with uh, flight training, and it was very, very difficult for me to get in to get started. Um, they've assured me that they are graduating, if you will, many of their students uh, over the last week and over the coming weeks. And so I actually have my first real lesson uh, set up for tomorrow. So before I got started with that, and before I got too deep into the training, which, of course, I will keep everybody abreast of, I wanted to talk about the criteria that I used to choose a flight school. I'd love to get feedback on this and find out what other people think is important, uh, but I'm just going to talk today about uh, the things that, that I believe were important. So I have had a little setback as far as getting my training started, but uh, I guess about a week and a half or so. But I am getting started tomorrow, and it looks like scheduling is getting much, much easier, and so I think I will hopefully be able to meet my goal of uh, flying or having a lesson three times a week. So in the meantime, since I had a, a week and a half or so before I started, I uh, went ahead and went and got my medical, and uh, I'm actually going to do uh, I'm actually going to do a, an episode on this at some future time. I mean, you know, it's no, it's no big deal, but I'm sure that people doing this for the first time could use uh, a little bit of advice and a little bit more information about what it's all about. Okay, so let's get started on today's topic, how to choose a flight school or a CFI. Well, this is a, a pretty big topic, and it is discussed ad nauseum, I think, in a lot of the forums and other places. But I just wanted to talk about today how how I did it. And what criteria I used. I, I broke it down basically into four different areas, or, or four plus one actually, and I'll talk about that plus one at the end. But, you know, I think there's a lot of determining factors in choosing a CFI or a flight school or, you know, how you want to get trained. I, I'm lucky. I live in Arizona. We have lots of good flying days and lots of flight schools that go along with lots of those flying days. And we have lots of different types of flight schools as well, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that and talk about those different types as we go throughout the podcast today. The first criteria I used was convenience. Uh, I think this is really important for most everybody. And convenience means a couple of different things. I think first and foremost, it's, you know, how convenient is it to get to the airport? Uh, how close is it to home or work? And where will you be when you, when you go to your lessons, and et cetera, et cetera? But I think one thing that's overlooked sometimes about the convenience factor is is the scheduling. Uh, you know, this, that's a big part of the, the convenience criteria, in my opinion, 
And uh, it's something that I've already bumped up against a little bit after my choice. I believe that there's a lot of criteria that goes into, uh, you know, how how good the scheduling is going to be for each individual. First and foremost is when do they do flight training? I, I don't know if this is true, but I suppose there's some FBOs that maybe aren't open on weekends or maybe only open one day on the weekend. And if that's when you really need to do your training, it's going to be difficult for you. The same thing might be true for some of the more uh, pro-oriented uh, flight schools. They, they may not do a lot of training on the weekends. And if you're somebody like me, who uh, you know has a regular job uh, to finance our flight training, weekends can be a very convenient time to do this. But scheduling, uh, uh, as I've found out, also has to do with how busy they are, how many instructors they have, are they short instructors because you know they're they're moving to regional airlines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know that's something that you want to keep in mind, and something that that I actually asked as I interviewed different uh, flight schools. You know, how, what, what's the process for scheduling? How difficult is it? How behind are you? How busy are you? Etc. I also talked about the times that I would like to fly and, and tried to get an idea of uh, whether that was going to be feasible or not. So as far as scheduling, uh, I'll just tell you, you know, what, what was important to me. I wanted to make sure that, that I could get a, you know, a flight in, uh, or a, or a lesson in, in the late afternoon. So, you know, on maybe one day a week where I could, you know, come in after my meetings at work or after work and and uh, do a lesson one weekday night. It was also important for me to be able to schedule an early mor- morning flight before work. And it turns out that Chandler Air Service was uh, pretty easy to do either one of those. You know, they have a, a later in the afternoon, uh, early evening sl- time slot, as well as uh, an early morning time slot. And, of course, with this particular FBO and flight school, they also train extensively on weekends, which is going to be very helpful for me in particular. So let's move on to the next criteria, uh, and that is the, the training philosophy. This is a much bigger topic. You know, there, there's delineations between schools between Part 141 or, or Part 61 schools. There's, uh, you know, how much emphasis they put on decision-making, if that's important to you, whether they do formal phase checks where you, you go with another instructor or maybe one of the chief instructors, and also what type of school it is. So there's some schools that, you know, really cater to the, you know, pro or future pro pilot. Then there's schools that are more uh, more of an FBO at a, a general aviation airport. And still, again, there's there's independent CFIs that would, of course, teach under Part 61. And, you know, all of these have, have benefits and, and drawbacks, and you have to kind of weigh, weigh what those are. So let me talk about what was important to me. Like I said before, I'm pretty lucky to live in Arizona where there's, there's lots of different flight schools, lots of good days to fly. And some of these schools we have here in Arizona, I think it's similar in Florida. Some of these schools are really, really aimed at, uh, at, you know, the pro or future pro pilot. Uh, some people call these, these places pilot factories. Sounds a little negative to me, so I'll try not to use that term, but this is an option even for people like me who, who don't in- intend to go pro, if you will. But I chose, uh, the FBO route because, uh, well, because of, of several things. First and foremost, I don't do epaulets. <laughs> so let me explain. If you don't know what epaulets are, it's those, uh, crazy little bars that, uh, Pro pilots sometimes wear on their white shirts over their shoulders. Um, <laughs> I don't know if these 
if these uh, pro schools require that. But you always see in their brochures and and in their uh, uh, on their websites all these uh, students walking around with these uh, white pilot shirts and and uh, epaulets on their shoulders. No, thank you. But kidding aside, I think there is a difference in the philosophy that these schools use. And while my logic could be flawed, I definitely don't claim to know everything. But uh, in my gut, I felt like I wanted sort of the more um, personal, maybe less structured approach to to the training. I wanted to fly on weekends. Some of these you know, schools don't do a lot of flying on weekends. And uh, essentially, I just wanted to have sort of the more general aviation uh, feel to to my training. And so for that reason, at a, at a really high level, I chose to, you know, I wanted to go either the independent CFI route or the FBO route and not one of these, uh, you know, pro pilot schools, if you will. So that's that's something that you can you can kind of figure out what what's best for you. As far as part 141 or 61, while I just said that I kind of wanted the less structured approach, I, I do want a structured curriculum. And that sort of led me toward the Part 141 schools, which are required by the FAA to have a, um, you know, a, a structured curriculum, phase checks, you know where you're at in, in the process and so on. But when it comes right down to it, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're trained Part 141 or 61, uh, as I've done more research, especially when you're doing primary training. Um, except for the difference of five hours that are required, which almost never comes into play as, you know, as anybody who's starting research about doing, uh, pilot training knows it usually takes longer than the minimum 40 or under part 141 minimum 35 hours that are required by the FAA to get your, uh, private pilot, pilot license. So it's probably not going to be a factor, those five hours difference in requirements. So as far as whether I'm actually doing Part 141 or Part 61, I don't think that mattered as much to me. But I did want the one, the Part 141 type of, of curriculum and structure. So it turns out that Chandler Air Service, while they are a Part 141 school, they sometimes teach under Part 61 and they sometimes teach under Part 141. I, I To tell you the truth, I don't actually know which one uh, which one I'm going to be doing. I'm sure that's just up to me and, and my instructor. But whether they're doing Part 61 or Part 141, they assured me that they do the same phase checks, they follow the, the same curriculum, etc. And so that, that part was, was most important to me. So whether it's actually under Part 141 or 61 is, is less important for me personally. One other thing that I happen to like about uh, the school that I chose is that they are that they're a training school for aerobatics, and I don't necessarily want to go straight into aerobatic training, but they have uh, several tailwheel airplanes. And one of the things that that the instructor that I was talking to initially, when I was sort of uh, asking questions and interviewing them, if you will, one of the things that he said that that sort of uh, pleased me was that he said, you know, when you finish your your primary training, you may as well get a tailwheel endorsement. And uh, that was something that I was planning on doing anyway. And for them to come out and say, you know, you might as well do that. Uh, We have the ability and so on. That sort of, that sort of made me feel good about, uh, you know, about the, the type of philosophy that they have around training. Okay. So now moving on to criteria three, and that is equipment. So what equipment will you be training with? And that's not limited just to the airplanes that you may be training in, but uh, that's probably the biggest component. 
but also are they going to use any uh, simulators that they may have um, that may come into play more for instrument training, but, uh, you know, find out what type of equipment uh, each school or each CFI is going to use. Now, when you're talking about equipment for training, it's generally going to mean the airplanes that you're going to be, u- that you're going to be using. And, you know, it, it goes beyond just whether they have nice planes or whether their planes are are uh, well kept inside or uh, whether they're kind of run down, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, you know, the, the planes that you use, I believe, are going to have a, a large effect on on your training and the training environment and and so on. So the first and most obvious is, are they well kept? Um, this is going to be very difficult for a prospective student to know other than, you know, what do they look like, right? And I really, really recommend that when you narrow down, when you narrow down your flight schools to, uh, you know, a handful that you go and talk to these guys. And one of the things you should do while you're talking to them is ask to look at their airplanes that uh, you would be training in. I haven't had one say that you couldn't do that yet. And, um, I think it's a good idea to, to do that. Even an untrained eye can tell if something's really, really run down. Uh, now also don't expect most training airplanes to be shiny, glossy, brand new, you know, 2008s either. Although you can find those. Um, but we're going to get to whether I think that's such a great idea, uh, in just a few minutes. So one of the other first and most obvious differentiators between training aircraft is the age-old high-wing versus low-wing debate. And from everybody that I've talked to, there is a real difference in the way those two designs fly in practice. Um, I don't have personal or enough personal experience with it yet. I have actually flown both types now. So if you listen to uh, my earlier episode, episode one, You'll remember that uh, that I actually did do a little bit of training a long, long time ago, and that was in Cessna high-wing trainers. And I took the introductory flight with Chandler Air Service just recently, and that was in a Piper Warrior, a low-wing. So I have had a tiny bit of experience in both types of airplanes, but definitely not enough to understand the differences myself. But everybody that I've talked to, both in person and, and online or, or read about, there really is a difference in the way these things fly. Not, not, you know, one not being necessarily better than the other. People surely develop personal preferences, but, um, but there is a difference. Now, I think that it's less of, less important in our, you know, in what we use as a trainer, high wing versus low wing than, than some of the other criteria we're going to talk about in a moment. But, uh, but it is, you know, a consideration. And that being said, I always expected to be training in a high-wing aircraft. That's what I had done before, and and um, the flight schools that I were fam- that I was familiar with, that's what they used for the most part. But it turns out, after you know going through the different criteria that I had for a flight school, uh, I ended up choosing a school that primarily uses low-wing uh, Piper trainers. So it surprised me a little bit, but that 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 is the direction that I decided to go. But, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm, uh, I think, I think that these, uh, Piper warriors are going to be great trainers as would, uh, as would a high ring aircraft. Now, one of the, one of the, um, schools that I did, uh, interview, I went and talked to great guys. They met all of the other criteria that I had, but they were using equipment that was very, very, very nice. Um, they trained mostly in, fairly new Cirrus SR20s. They even have SR22s, but they don't generally do primary training in those for obvious reasons. But they they have very nice, you know, Avidyne glass cockpit uh, 
uh, SR-20s, and, and they train mostly mostly in those. Beautiful, beautiful airplane. You know, I went and looked at it, sat down in it, uh, very impressed with these airplanes. But one of the things I knew early on is that I didn't want to train in a glass cockpit airplane. And the reason for that, personally, is that I sort of, I, I sort of want to have a, a classic experience with my training. And glass cockpits are anything but classic piloting, right? I think that there's nothing wrong with glass cockpits. I, you know, I expect at some future time that I'll probably be flying mostly glass cockpit airplanes, but I, I think that's down the road a ways. And I, I really wanted to learn using uh, steam gauges. And the, uh, the other consideration there is that these newer, nicer airplanes, you know, not necessarily the glass cockpit airplanes, but the newer, nicer airplanes tend to be a little higher performance. And what that means to a student is you have less decision time. Or if it's a complex airplane, so, um, you know, retractable landing gear, um, constant speed prop, that, that sort of thing. Again, what that means to a student is you have more task loading. You have more things to, to worry about as you're learning a lot of things at one time. So I wanted to stay away from the high performance. I wanted to stay away from the complex as a trainer. And I wanted to stay away from the glass cockpit. And the last consideration there is... The cost. If you're going to be training in one of these nice, nicer, newer airplanes, it's going to cost you. So while I was at this school, I really liked the people. I liked their training philosophy. It would have been staggeringly more expensive for me to train in an airplane that I really didn't think I was ready to fly anyway or didn't really want to use as a trainer to get this classic type of training that I was hoping to get. So I sort of ruled them out and I ruled out other FBOs or other schools that tended to use, you know, higher end airplanes, if you will, not the standard trainers. So the equipment that you're going to use in your training is definitely a big criteria and something that you need to think about and consider. And the fourth criteria that I uh, uh, thought about, and of course is the big elephant in the room, and that is cost. And we've already talked about that a little bit. As a matter of fact, all of these criteria are really intertwined in, in a lot of ways. But uh, cost is a major decision point, but I think it's one of the easier ones. First of all, how much can I afford? You know, it, it's really easy, right? The second question I would ask about affordability or cost is if I pay more for one school than another, what am I getting? What is the value or the perceived value that I'm going to get out of that? The prices on on these different schools were very diverse, very very wide gap between the most affordable and the uh, most expensive. And there were a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes it's equipment. Sometimes it's um, a higher price for the dual time or the CFI time, etc., but uh, the way I looked at it is if I'm paying a higher price for fancy equipment, fancy airplanes, I don't think that's worth it for me. But if I'm paying a higher cost and that higher cost is, is uh, the CFI portion or the dual training, the dual uh, portion of the training, then there may be a reason to pay that extra, that extra cost. And that is if you, if you believe that you are going to get a better instructor or you're going to get better instruction, more efficient instruction, um, paying that higher cost is well worth it. And it's the same for everything in life, right? A lot of times we, we pay extra for better service or we pay extra for better quality. And if you're paying extra for, uh, the CFI time, it's possible that you're going to get 
in general, more quality instruction. Now, that's not always going to be the case, and so you have to look at all of these other criteria and figure out if you if you think you're right on that. But economics do play a role here, and if anybody's had any uh, economics, formal economics training, or uh, heaven forbid, you have a hobby of studying economics. I actually majored in economics for uh, quite a while in school. But there's this idea of economics on the supply side or on the employment side that says if there is an FBO or a flight school that is paying their instructors more, they're going to have a better selection of people to hire. Now, just because you're paying the school more for the CFI doesn't necessarily mean that that CFI is getting paid more than somewhere else. Maybe the owners are pocketing it all. I don't know. Maybe they have a high cost of uh, rent or something. But all other things being equal, if they're charging you more for the CFI, there's a good chance that the CFI is actually getting paid maybe more than they would somewhere else. And if that's the case, then the laws of economics basically determine the fact that they are going to have a better selection of people to choose from. And if you have a better selection or a bigger selection of people to choose from, you're going to tend to get better quality. And that's why it's one of the small factors that I would definitely in, include there, and it's something that you may want to consider spending more money on. Again, I caveat this with you're not always that's not always going to be true, but in general, it probably is. And so I was okay going to a school that tends to pay a little more or charge a little more, I should say, for for the dual time. And it turns out that Chandler Air Service does charge a little more than some of the others for the dual time, but they charge in some cases quite a bit less for the equipment. And that was exactly along the lines of the type of breakdown that, that I was interested in. To add on top of that, when I did do the inspections at the different flight schools that I was interested in, I, I thought that uh, uh, the place that I chose had actually very, very nice equipment. I mean, it's, no, you know, they're not using new glass panels and they're not using uh, uh, brand new aircraft, but that was part of my criteria that I didn't want to happen. They're using a uh, fairly late model, um, 70s vintage uh, Piper Warriors for the most part, and they're very well kept. They, you know, they look like they're uh, in good condition. And so it, it fit the bill perfectly for me. The other thing to consider about cost is most schools and uh, most uh, FBOs and, and rental places, for that matter, will give you what are called block discounts. So if you pay a larger block of money, sort of put it on an account, if you will, and then pull out of that account, a lot of times they'll give you a discount on uh, the rental fees. One thing to keep in mind here is you don't want that block necessarily to be too gigantic. I've talked to several people that have done that with flight schools before where especially the you know the the pro oriented schools where they will you know they'll take $40,000 up front and then in a year go out of business when you're halfway through your training and of course you you don't see much of that money ever come back to you. The same thing can happen to an FBO or or a smaller school at a general aviation airport. You know, it's a, it's a tough business. Fuel prices are going up and, you know, FBOs, even ones that have been around for quite a long time, may go out of business. So consider, you know, um, if somebody wants a $5,000 block, it might be a little high. But uh, the other thing to consider is if they do ask for a $1,000 block to get the discount, and that sounds reasonable to me, but don't go buy, you know, $5,000 worth necessarily because a lot of things can happen. You could decide, well, you know, you need to put your training on hold because of uh, job change or something like that. Well, you don't want to be out all of that money. So think about that when you're doing it. But 
if you've got the money to do it, which hopefully you would if you're going to start training, you know, go ahead and take advantage of, uh, of those discounts. Now, the one plus one criteria that I talked about before, the way I look at it is how you click with the, the people at the school and how you click with the CFI and so on. Now, this is going to be something that's pretty difficult to determine until you start your training, but you can get an idea for it when you, you know, when you're talking to people. So, so all of these criteria are a real balance. Um, if you're really, really lucky, you might get everything you want, but like everything in life, there's usually trade-offs involved and compromise. So the first thing I would do is figure out, and the first thing I did is figure out your, your absolute needs, um, you know, budget, convenience factors, etc. You know, you don't want to necessarily drive three hours to get to the airport if there's uh, three, you know, that are within a half an hour. So figure out, you know, what, what the absolute needs are and narrow it down to a few schools. Once you've got your, you know, your narrowed down choices, it's not nearly as overwhelming. From there, you can, you know, start going through some of the other criteria and determine what are your priorities. And then, and then start talking to them. Go out and visit them. Get an idea of what they're like. Ask to see the, the, tr the trainer aircraft that you'd be using. Talk to a CFI. Ask about scheduling. All those things that make a difference in what your experience is going to be like. It can, it can be a little bit intimidating, you know. A lot of things when you're getting into something new for the first time and you don't really understand everything, it can be a little intimidating to just, you know, walk into an FBO or walk into a school and, and start asking questions. But it's important that you get over that if, if it is intimidating because you're going to be spending a lot of money and you're in charge. You're the boss, so to speak. So figure out who you want to hire because that's really what you're doing. And you need to know more than just prices and and uh, and so on when you're making that choice. So when I put this all together and, and made a decision on mine, I, I actually narrowed it down to two different locations or two different general aviation airports. There's Falcon Field, which is uh, in Mesa, Arizona, and there's Chandler Municipal Airport, which is in Chandler, Arizona. And they're almost exactly the same driving distance from, from my house, or driving time, that is, from my house, about uh, 15, 20 minutes. So I could go to either one, and it would be about the same. So once I narrowed it down to those two locations, uh, I found out, uh, you know, what all the schools were and what all the FBOs were that, that teach at each one of those airports and started going through my other criteria. What's most important to me? What are their prices? What equipment, et cetera? And once I narrowed it down to about four different schools, uh, three or four different schools, I went out and visited them and, and sat down with um, with a CFI or a representative and uh, talk to them about what their philosophies are and ask them about all these other criteria that we've talked about today. Uh, they showed me the, the airplanes that they use, and uh, I just generally got a feel for, for what they were going to be like. In two of those four that I visited, I never actually got to speak to a CFI. And the reason for that is that they either weren't there or that they were all up and, and very busy and that I might be able to come back at another time and so on. And at one of them in particular, they just came right out and said, look, we've, you know, we're really shorthanded right now. And, you know, we've had a lot of people leave for, for the airlines and we just, we don't have a lot of CFIs. We're short right now. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't bode well for the whole scheduling thing. So that helped to take that one off my list. Um, they also didn't have very many aircraft at that one, although it seemed to be a really nicely run top-notch facility. They they do a lot of things, you know, an FBO, and they do a lot of different things. Training is one of them. 
but the, it just didn't seem like a good time to use that school. Another one I went to, uh, I also wasn't able to ever talk to a CFI. They were, they were always busy, but you know, I enjoyed talking to the representative that I talked to. She showed me all of their planes. You know, she, she went over all of their philosophies and so on. Uh, felt comfortable with them. It, it was interesting though that, uh, their planes were very, very, uh, old. <laughs> and it wasn't just that they were old, but they were, they were really sad looking and, um, and they knew it, you know, they said, look, they're not much to look at, but they are safe. And, you know, we maintain them well and, you know, they're, they're trainers. And so we don't worry too much about the way they look, which is, which is fine. But, um, it was a little difficult to get over some of, uh, some of the, the wear and tear on these airplanes. And all other things being equal, I'd rather be in a, a slightly more well-kept airplane. Of course, all other things are not always equal, um, so you have to take that into consideration. And I definitely did consider this school, and, and in my mind, they made the uh, uh, the cut when I cut it down to two schools before I decided to go with Chandler for uh, all the reasons that we talked about. So that's my story, and uh, I used a lot of references when I was doing this. Um, obviously, I am not an expert. This is the first time that I've really gotten this serious and done this, um, but I just used the resources that I, I was able to find. I uh, got some really good information from CFI Cast, which I believe you can uh, find at pilotcast.com. I also got really, really good information from Jason Miller over at The Finer Points, which you can find at thefinerpoints.net. I also read some of the forums, AOPA forum in particular, and I'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. You know, when it came right down to it, I just kind of had to use common sense and, and find out what felt right to me. So that's how I did it, and that's the criteria that I used. And hopefully some of this will be helpful to somebody else out there, but most importantly, I would love to hear feedback what was important to you, how you made the decision, or how you're making the decision, and so on. So please visit thestudentpilotcast.com, and under the show notes for this episode, please leave feedback, or you can send feedback directly to me at that same website on the contact page. And if I get a lot of good information in that feedback, I'll make sure to do an update in a future episode to make sure that information gets out on this audio cast. So I think that should do it for now. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, life is good. I'm going to be a pilot. for today's audio cast is the song To Be an Angel from the great Canadian band Uncle Seth. You can get more information and subscribe to the Student Pilot audio cast using iTunes, Zune, or any other podcatcher at www.studentpilotcast.com.